Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Tyler Orton. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Later on today, we're going to be speaking to Dan Churiak. He's the principal of Churiak Consulting. He's also a fellow in residence at C.D. Howe Institute. We had an interesting discussion with him on Roundhouse Radio 98.3, in which me and co-host Kirk LaPointe talked to him about where we stand when it comes to NAFTA renegotiations. We just capped off round four. Dan has some insights in both the negotiations, what the goals and strategies are of the different players involved, as well as, well, I guess the progressive trade agenda that Canada is pursuing here and whether it makes sense to be even doing such a thing when it comes to NAFTA. So that's Dan Chiriak, principal of Chiriak Consulting and a fellow in residence at the C.D. Howe Institute. Before we get to that interview, though, this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600. Or else check them out on their website at manningelliot.ca. Good to have you with us today here at Roundhouse Radio 98.3. You're listening to Business in Vancouver with a daily business news program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Tyler Orton. Well, we've just seen the conclusion of the fourth round in the NAFTA renegotiation. And joining us with an update on where we stand is Dan Churiak. He's principal of Churiak Consulting and a fellow in residence at the C.D. Howe Institute. Dan, welcome to the show. Uh, good to be aboard. So, NAFTA, round four already. We hear a lot of back and forth going on with Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Are we on track to get this done? Is this going to be a done deal on the timeline that the players want, or is that going to be a little bit too ambitious at this point? In At this point, it's just too early to tell where this is going at all. Um, we're in the middle of negotiations, and, of, of course, unless you're inside the room, it, it's, it's really hard to know what the um, actual dynamic is. But certainly the, what has, has come out so far uh, it has left many, many people feeling pessimistic about the uh, prospects. What we've been hearing, I guess, from the, uh, the most recent round that concluded over the weekend was, was that Canada was getting a little surprised at times by American demands, um, particularly around our supply management system, that that has reared its head again. Uh, that, that was something that Donald Trump mentioned a matter of months ago but Canadians seem to think was somehow disappearing, wasn't going to be uh, uh, contested in all of this because the Americans themselves have some issues involving their own dairy um, subsidies and support. Uh, is this potentially a deal breaker for Canada? Would Canada walk away if it has to deal with supply management, do you think? Uh, it's very possibly a deal breaker. Uh, supply management would be very expensive for Canada to get out of right now because of the value of quota. Um, it's a considerable amount, and the quite, uh, there'll be a big fiscal issue for Canada in, in dealing with that. Um, the uh, Americans know that this has been uh, sort of a no-go uh, area for Canada for a long time. Uh, we gave up a certain amount in the Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiation, so there was a done deal in that context. Now, but what the Americans are asking for is way over the top uh, compared to the TPP. Uh, concessions. 
So the question would be, are we uh, going to end up with where we were in TPP or whether or not the Americans would insist on a substantially greater uh, market access? Uh, and uh, again, if you ask for something that you know is uh, very, very difficult for, uh, for your trading partner to accept, uh, you are uh, putting the uh, talks at risk. Is this mm-hmm. brinksmanship or is this uh, real negotiation? Who can tell at the moment? Dan, we've also been hearing from a lot of business groups in the United States that are raising warning bells about what these negotiations could spell for the United States if you know we don't continue on with NAFTA. Do you think that we are seeing enough pressure applied from you know different sides of the arguments, maybe bolster the values of, of NAFTA, what its worth is to maybe the United States government, who is the one that asked for these renegotiations? So. It- for, for the longest time, we've been talking not about NAFTA as trade between Canada and the U.S. and Mexico, but you know, as we build things together. Um, and there was always this together at the end of the sentence. And what we had now uh, with the Trump administration is that this together thing is no longer there. Now it's a question of you know us selling to you, and. Um, so, yes, we do build things together. We've developed supply chains across the border, and there's a lot of at stake for uh, American companies, American uh, states uh, in NAFTA. Uh, the agricultural sector, for example, has particularly important stakes in access to the Mexican market, um, but certainly in, in areas like autos, uh, you've got you know, very deep supply chains, supply chain integration across the, both borders. So Canada has, of course, pulled out sort of all stops. There's a full court press on in the United States at, uh, to you know all stakeholders, both uh, the business community, uh, the states that that depend heavily on trade with Canada, and of course in Congress. Um, so I think uh, one cannot say anything other than Canada understands the importance of this, understands the political system in, in the in the United States and is working uh, over time to to develop a constituency to help out with the negotiation. Ultimately, I expect the main fight in the United States over um, NAFTA to be actually within the U.S., not between ourselves and the U.S. Interesting. I mean, the data are quite persuasive here about our trading relationship. We've got uh, more than 80% of our trade involved with the United States. Uh, There are 35 U.S. states whose Principal trading partner is Canada. About nine million jobs that we uh, we attest somehow in the United States uh, to trade with Canada, and yet um, the wild card in all of this appears to be Donald Trump and his uh, and his efforts to solidify the base of support he has, which um, somehow believes that this deal is bad for America, that that America hasn't really uh, negotiated a good deal in 1994. Uh, what what do you think that dynamic poses here as um, as, as, as a, a real uh, impact um, on the potential um, this you know dissolving of these trade talks so Canada finds itself as as a kind of almost the innocent bystander in, in this but um, the, the the Trump administration uh, has looked at, at trade from a trade balance perspective and from a bilateral trade balance perspective. Now, all economics says this is meaningless in a multilateral trading system. Uh, countries don't trade, companies do. Customers buy products. 
uh, no U.S. company has tries to balance its trade with Germany or with Canada or with Mexico. They buy and sell uh, where they need the parts and, and where they have the customers. And it's uh, over, uh, in the big picture, the overall trade balance does matter for a country, but that's t- uh, typically decided by things like macroeconomics, uh, by the extent to which a country saves or dissaves. Uh, so the the Trump administration is approaching this from a, a perspective that doesn't make sense in economics, and this has been pointed out by pretty much every single trade economist on the planet. Now, Canada has a balanced uh, trade relationship with the United States. The last five years were almost supernaturally balanced. One doesn't expect to see such balance. Um, but the U.S. does have a big imbalance with the world as a whole. So as the Trump administration has uh, uh, approached NAFTA saying, well, there's a a trade imbalance within NAFTA, that trade imbalance is with Mexico. So if you go after NAFTA, then we wind up in in the crosshairs, not because there's any imbalance, and in fact, by making excessive demands, on Canada, say uh, on dairy and on, on software lumber, um, uh, with now with the the uh, trade case against uh, Bombardier, you actually unbalance the relationship, which makes it very difficult for Canada. But meanwhile, if you, you turn to the uh, uh, U.S.-Mexico trade uh, situation, the, that that uh, imbalance in the U.S. comes from corporate decisions, not from uh, some uh, protectionism in Mexico, and the U.S. cannot turn that bilateral trade relationship into balance or bring it into balance except through protection because Mexico doesn't have anything left to give. They really gave a lot under the original NAFTA. So you have this conflict between economics and rhetoric, and the risk is that the rhetoric will ultimately prevail and drive the United States out of NAFTA into bilateral negotiations with Canada and uh, and Mexico separately, and then the question is, where would that end up? So the, we would be, we would wind up one on one with the United States and negotiating on the basis of a Canada-U.S. FTA. But now with uh, things like which were very important for Canada back in 1989, such as the Chapter 19 uh, uh, mechanism to review anti-dumping uh, and countervailing duty cases, off the table for the U.S. Um, so if economics wins out and the stakeholders in the United States, including Congress, impress, uh, prevail, uh, then we will have uh, come out of this uh, with, with a, a trade deal between Canada and the U.S., which is very like what we have today. But overall, there, there will be some change, and I, I expect that the, the, the logical sort of direction of this will be to have a thinner uh, relationship. There will be more economic sovereignty on both sides, but nonetheless free trade. Our guest today is Dan Churiak, principal of Churiak Consulting and a fellow in residence at the C.D. Howe Institute. We're talking about NAFTA renegotiations. We just had round four wrap up. And Dan, you just put out a memo looking at Canada's decision to pursue a progressive trade agenda. There's a lot of language in there talking about rights with, say, Indigenous people, women, and so on. Is Canada, you know, kind of reaching for the sky here, but we, we don't know if there's much of a track record in these things actually coming to fruition. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on this progressive trade agenda here. So uh, the progressive trade agenda... Uh, has a coherent framing, uh, as they put it, in the sense that we see around the world uh, populist reaction to trade. 
And, and it, the, that populist reaction is rooted in the sense that trade has not delivered uh, fairly across the board to all constituents within an economy. So the progressive trade agenda then says we should try and make sure that everyone benefits from this. So we have words about small business, about women, um, indigenous pop, uh, populations, and so forth. This makes sense. The uh, problem I have with it is that most of the uh, sort of uh, inequity in the distribution of income that has emerged over the last uh, few decades hasn't had to do with trade. It's had to do primarily with the financialization of the economy, with the way we manage our, our economies by lowering interest rates during um, uh, recessions and then for a long time afterwards. And if you think about you know, the relationship between labor and capital, uh, wages are the, are the cost of labor and the interest rate is the cost of capital. So if you lower the cost of capital arbitrarily for the better part of a decade, you, it puts a lot of pressure on, on labor, either on jobs or on wages. And that's the source, to me, of, of this rising inequity that we see. Yet, trade is the, is, is, takes blame in the first instance pretty much everywhere. You know, so if you have a problem, you blame the foreigner first, whether it's the foreign product, the foreign company, or the foreign worker. And that's what's happening with these populist reactions. So the question is, even though the, 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 the policy is correct in saying we need to ensure a fairer sharing of the benefits of trade, does that uh, lever have enough power to move uh, the wage, the, the income distribution? And I argue no. The uh, labor chapters in, in free trade agreements haven't had a, any effect on wages. The requirement to, um, to um, observe international uh, labor organization fundamental uh, uh, conventions uh, is not sufficient to raise income levels uh, for, for wages across the board. The chapter on, on gender, which we have uh, in the Canada-Chile FTA, while laudable in terms of its direction and in terms of norm setting for the future, nonetheless uh, it has no mandatory compulsory elements that, 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 that would, uh, say, drive the uh, convergence of women's wages in Canada towards uh, the level of men, right? Uh, and the same thing would be true of the indigenous chapter if we were to get this in to the NAFTA. Uh, the more fundamental problem with regard to the United States right now is if you think about things like uh, uh, the, uh, the environmental chapter where we are committing in Canada to, to attempting to uh, limit uh, the effects of climate change, the United States has just gutted the Environmental Protection Agency, removed all references to climate change from their website. It would be very difficult to, to present an agreement uh, with the United States right now saying that we are uh, addressing climate change with an administration which has gone that far on climate change, if you yeah. my, my point. I mean, it, we, it, you, you speak of climate change, and certainly the climate has changed south of the border politically. <laughs> is, is, this, is this something that uh, you think the American administration would, would countenance at this stage? I don't think that the American that, that the Trump administration would sign such a deal, and I think it would be uh, sort of incredible for Canada to, to 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 sign something like that with with the Trump administration and claim that that we are actually enforcing this. So uh, to me, 
the 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 uh, uh, progressive trade agenda is laudable. It's the right thing to do, but it's a, it's a weak uh, instrument in in addressing the fundamental problem of the relationship between labor and capital in our society, which, by the way, is going to get become even uh, more difficult as as artificial intelligence and uh, takes uh, deeper root in, in our production systems. So we, we need to be doing something, and it's not wrong to include this in our trade agreements, but uh, I suspect that with the NAFTA and uh, dealing with the current American administration, this is uh, going to be a no-go zone. Well, Dan, lots going on here. We'll have to get you back on to give us an update when renegotiations resume. I want to thank you for now for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much. It's good being on. That's Dan Chiriak, principal of Chiriak Consulting and a fellow in residence at the C.D. Howe Institute. And you're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Tyler Orton. And I'm Kirk LaPointe. And I want to thank you all for listening to Business in Vancouver podcast. Tyler Orton, you can find mine's stories at BIV.com or else go to us on Twitter. We're at BIV News. You can also follow me on Twitter at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. Uh, Until next time, that's me signing off.